That's what this series is about, getting that junk out of our lives, quitting being hemmed in by the stuff that we drag around. And I'm not talking about physical stuff. I'm talking about the emotional baggage. I'm talking about the unhealthy ways we think, we see ourselves, we see others, we relate to God. All of these things that aren't God-breathed and in the lineup with what He says who we are and who He says He is to us, those are the stuff that, that, can, that can really weigh us down. And this series is about getting that mess out of our lives. So if you're on version and you got those notes pulled up, got our event for today pulled up, uh, or if you've got your bulletin with us, let's just go ahead and let's get right into the thick of what's going on here. And, and this is kind of the concept we've been chewing on um, week in and week out through this series here in our third part. And uh, it's, it's as we journey through life with Christ and we allow the Spirit to grow us from the inside out, we're going to have to let go of some baggage that is weighing us down. Celebration Church was founded and, and launched with this concept that God knows where we are. We're, we're somewhere, and God wants to take us forward from there. So you and I have to constantly be asking these questions. Where are we? And which way forward from here? You know, God always has a way out. You, we can't dig a hole so deep that God can't lead us out of it. And so, and then we can't get so high that then God doesn't just have another place uh, of greatness for us to step into. It's not like we can all of a sudden go, okay, thanks God, I've, you know, I've, I've mastered this, I've beat this game, I'm done. Uh, no, it's always moving forward. And that is what <clears throat> Celebration Church is about. That's what this life in Christ is about. But if we're really going to do that, if we're going to move forward, we got to... Cast off the weight, the Bible says. We've got to get rid of this junk that hinders us and holds us back. You know, and some of this stuff, some of these baggage, um, they've become almost like pets and stuff. I mean, we like, we name them, we own them, we identify with them. And, uh, man, we've got to look at the truth that the Scripture says to break this mess off of our lives. And see, Matthew 11, and this has been kind of our, our, our launch. We just keep coming off of this and launching off of this off of what Jesus said right here in Matthew 11, which is, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Where does that rest come from? It comes from Him. It comes from Him. It's not come to me and now chill out and rest. You do it. No. It's, we allow Him to give us that rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, the Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. It's the trying to do it your own way and say, God, yeah, whatever, forget you. I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to do it my way. That way is the hard way, the Bible says that when we really embrace the grace that he has given us, going with him, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that's what we want to do it. Whenever we begin to make it about religion, that's when Christianity becomes this stifling, ugly thing that was never intended to be. But when we keep it about Jesus, man, that's when we live in this place of easy and light and we can really do this thing. <clears throat> and this week, you know, we, we've talked about just kind of baggage in general and kind of identifying it. And um, in, in the first week, and then this week, what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to look at the baggage of emotional pain. 
because emotional pain, it doesn't only just slow us down, but it can actually stop us from arriving where we intended to go. We want to make sure and we, we sense that God is taking us somewhere and that we're on this journey and we want to make sure that we follow through with it. But what can slow us down and even make us decide to just camp out and say, okay, we're, we're cool here, is this thing of emotional baggage, of this place. And it honestly comes from our wounds, comes from our hurts. And you know what? And we're, we're honestly... We try to have this concept. We love this thing of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, which when you think about it, is impossible. <laughs> you don't work that way. Try it. Grab your feet and pull yourself up off the ground. No worky. And, um, and so uh, that, that, that concept is, 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 a, is a fallacy in and of itself. But when we begin to try to play doctor on ourselves and try to begin to heal our own wounds man it just we just get it all messed up we just it just never quite works we need to rely on something else there was this uh, story about this uh, uh this this guy who um who would just sit there and, and just had had allowed alcohol to take over his life and he, he was a drunk and when he was drunk he was a mean drunk and he got into fights all the time and and his wife was just really she just had enough she said man you just need to chill and so Sure enough, he goes out, he gets drunk, he gets in a fight, comes home, sneaks in the house, she's asleep, and he's like, okay, maybe I can take care of this. And so he goes in the bathroom and tries to, to handle the, you know, the, the, the cuts and scrapes on his face and the, the wounds, and, and he, he, he sneaks into bed and uh, gets into bed. And, you know, and the, his wife, when they get up in the morning, she's like, honey, um, did, you, uh, did you get drunk last night and, and get in a fight? Oh, no, baby. No, 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 no. I, I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, why? Well, if you didn't do that, well, who put all these Band-Aids on the mirror? <laughs> See, we're in this place. Our, our, we're, not, we're not in a place to really genuinely try to tend to our own wounds and tend to ourselves. We're going to end up botching it and messing it up. Um every time and see uh what we want to look at is i want to point you to a piece a little passage of scripture that you can just read over we're going to start again we we've we've read over and uh, most of us when we when we get excited in in january to read through the bible together um most of us make it through genesis you know most everybody makes it through genesis and uh so any of y'all have tried to read, read through the bible you you've read this part you've made it through genesis 11 and, uh, but I just want to point out something right here that I think really sheds some light on the subject that we're talking about today. Let's look at Genesis eleven twenty-seven through 28. And it says, This is the account of Terah. And Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Now Lot comes into the picture uh, in a little heavier, a little later in Genesis. Um, and it says, And while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Now here the scriptures tell us and give us that piece of information that while Terah was still alive, that Haran passed away. Now we, 
obviously this was, Haran was old enough to have had children because Haran had Lot. Um, but he died premature. His papa's still around. You know, we were wired to for heaven. We were wired to live eternally. When we were created in the Garden of Eden, we were, we were not created to say, have to say goodbye to each other. Folks, that is why it hurts so bad. Even for those of us that have hope in Christ, it just hurt. We weren't wired for death. There's just nothing right about it. It just hurts. And I tell you what, parents were never wired to be able to have to say goodbye and bury a, bury a child. It's just not supposed to go in that way. And so here we have Tara facing probably the biggest pain of his life in the loss of one of his boys. And so here we have him here in that moment. And then we go for another couple of little scriptures. And it talks, tells us a little bit about Abram and him, him marrying Sarai, who was later named to Sarah. And we pick up just a couple of verses later in verse 31. And it says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran. So he took this. He t- takes Abram. There's, there's, the, there's the other boy, Nahor, who's not mentioned in this story. So Nahor decides that he isn't going. But the, the, his grandson of the son that he lost, Haran, and, <clears throat> he takes them. And, of course, Abram's wife, <clears throat> Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Terah is taking Abram. And these other guys to Canaan. That's where they set out to go. Now, if you're familiar with Bible history at all, you understand that as we go forward a, a little bit, that Canaan is later understood and known as the promised land. Canaan is where we now have the land of Israel and all of the fighting and the squabbling that's happening over there of everybody, different people groups saying that's their chunk of, of this planet. And that this promised land, this, this area of Canaan, um, Terah set out to go there. It was in his heart. We don't know why. It doesn't say why. But Terah takes his family and he is headed there for the promised land. But let's look at what happens with Terah. And it says, but when they came to Haran, there happened to be a city named after the son that he lost. It wasn't necessarily named after him. It's just the same name. And he comes to that city. And that's where he stops. He gets to that place and is confronted with the place. has the same name of the boy he lost. And he can't go on. In his heart, he was headed somewhere else. And he gets to that moment. And he can't go on. And he settles there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. When we fast forward to Abram's life, we find out that Abram finishes the journey, and he leaves his father Terah, who's in a land that he wasn't born in. His other son is still over in Ur. The one son's died, and Abram, God says, get out of here, and I'm going to show you the land. And Abram ends up, God leads him and finishes that journey to Canaan. And Terah 
was still alive when Abram left, <coughs> left out. Terah had that in his heart. That was where he was going. And he stops right there at this thing that happens to have the same name as his deepest pain in his life. <coughs> Folks, <coughs> God is all, taking all of us somewhere. There's something grand, there's something big. Who knows if maybe we would today be talking about that he was the God of Terah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we don't. Terah stops. And when it starts now, our lineage, everything starts with Abraham. Who knows if that journey was actually Terah's journey and then Terah stops and so Abraham finishes it. But we know Terah was going to the same place God took Abraham. What we want to do, folks, we want to make sure that we don't allow on any front, on any front. People, there's a time to grieve. I'm not saying be callous. I'm not saying, you know, be hard-hearted towards, towards your pain or other people's pain by any means. What I'm saying is we can't allow even the deepest wounds in our life to hold us back and to stay there and camp there and live and die in that place of our pain. We can't. We can't do that, folks. Because what is going to happen is that when we do that, it keeps us for our potential. <clears throat> um, Tara's potential was to go all the way, was to go the distance. That was what he left for. And, folks, it'll keep us from our potential. Now, I was sitting there thinking about this because when, when we're in this place of our pain, we're just not... We're just not our normal selves. When we're in that place of our deep wound, we're just not ourselves anymore. And, and uh, these uh, uh, Snickers commercials, they just, they just crack me up. I just want to roll one of them right quick. You've seen them if you've been watching TV at Can all. Can we turn the AC up? I'm dying back here. It's on. Can't you feel it? Can you feel that? Oh. <laughs> Jeff, eat a Snickers, please. Why? Every time you get hungry, you turn into a diva. Just eat it so hey. we can all coexist. Turn into here. a diva. Mm -hmm. In your system, cranky pants. Okay. Thank you. Better? Better. Will you get your knees out of the back of my seat? <laughs> you're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Well, I know there's certain people in my house that ain't them when they're hungry. And so, uh, anyways, I'm not pointing any fingers. And uh, anyways, but it's the truth. When we're wounded, when we're in our place of our pain, we're not ourselves. We're not. We're not making rational decisions. We're not who we're really supposed to be. In fact, Psalm 73, 21, it just says it so, so perfectly. It says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. When we're in that place of our pain, when we are embittered, when we are <clears throat> when we're in that moment of that of that deep grief over this issue, we're not thinking straight, folks. We're not. It begins to twist the way we see the world. It begins to shift the way we interact with things. It begins to mess things up. And that's why Jesus wants to set us free from it. Because we won't live the life that God has called us to live if we don't allow Him to go into this place of that deep pain in our lives. 
And one of the first things we have to understand is that it pollutes our other relationships. It, it totally messes them up. Hebrews 12, 15, this is the Phillips translation, says, A bitter spirit is not only bad in itself, but it can also poison the lives of many others. Many of us here have had to deal with, 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 with bitter co-workers and employers. I'm telling you what, it just makes life miserable. Some people have had to deal with bitter spouses or bitter parents or, or bitter children. And I'll tell you what, it does. It is just this contagion that gets in and it just, it just spreads. And we want to make sure that we do that. Because for some reason we think that because we're hurt that it gives us the license to just, to just dump on people. And, and it's not really, there shouldn't be any consequences. Why? Because I'm hurt. There's a story about the little boys who were, who were dying eggs. And, and uh, mom stepped out and she'd left the little boys dying the Easter eggs. And they had the, had the, the raw eggs and the boiled eggs. And, and uh, the oldest brother turns to the little brother and says, You know what? I'll give you a dollar if you let me bust three of these raw eggs over your head. You're like, you know, it's a sucker bet. You know, I'll, I'll take a dollar any day. I can wash my hair out. I'm good. And uh, so the little brother says, Sure. Bust those eggs over my head. So uh, big brother takes the egg, busts the egg over his head, just totally enjoys it. Egg goo and mess all running down his head. Busts the second egg, all of the mess. And the little brother's like, okay, all right, when are you going to do that third egg? When are you going to do that third egg? He's like, are you kidding? That third egg cost me a dollar. And so, (laughs) and uh, he, uh, obviously he was trying to be able to, uh, to, to dump on the one without having it cost him anything himself. Folks, we can think that maybe that people ought to understand. I'm hurt. I'm in pain. I've gone through this. If I dump on you, you just need to not count it against me. And folks, it doesn't work that way. I wish we were that rational. I wish we could all step back and go, you know what, that, that, you know, that person really is in, in, a, in a rough place. And let's just... Let's just give them some room to just kind of be a jerk for a little while and, and we'll just all forgive them. But you know what? Sadly, it doesn't. It doesn't. Just because we're in this place of our pain, I'm telling you what, it will begin to have this ramification and just begin to tear things up all over the place. That uh, we'll see that it, ultimately that it'll, it'll make us react in one of three ways. We'll see that it, it makes us defensive some people it makes defensive. All of a sudden they get wounded, man, and they're just ready to scrap. Every little thing's an attack at that point. Or it can make us distant. We get wounded, and then we're like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to be around anybody. I'm going to go hide in a dark room. I'm turning my phone off. I don't want any interaction with anybody at all. I'll begin to get distant. I'm wounded. Leave me alone. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Or it can make us demanding. Or it can make us to this, you know what? I'm wounded, so you better be nice to me. I got my feelings hurt. This this person did this horrible, terrible thing to me. So you better treat me like this. You better do this. You better do that. I deserve this. I deserve all of these different things. And we will typically respond in one of those ways. And any of those things begins to pollute our other relationships. We have to let God remove the hurt. And then also, it can get in and weasel in and begin to work on our relationship with God. 
and begin to destroy our relationship with God. 1 John 4 says, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You know, this goes right on into the thing of even loving our enemy. Of even loving those who persecute us and, and spitefully use us. Why does God do that? Is it because they're his favorite and God's telling us to forgive them because he likes them more? No. It's because the baggage of you hanging on to it hurts you. He's trying to set you free. It's not because he loves them more. It's not some weight. God, you're putting the weight of forgiveness on me to turn them loose. And God, that isn't fair. Bull. That is not it. That is not it. He's trying to get the weight of their pain. He hates that you were hurt to begin with. But if you stay under it, it continues to hurt. You know what? You get in a car wreck and the car flips on top of you. that's, That's bad. But it's worse to stay there. Let somebody come and lift that mess off of you. And that's what God wants to do. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other. Put up with each other. Deal with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Say, God, I can't do this. And you're right, you can't. That's why... We had to be born again, filled with His Spirit, so we can do this. Because only God can walk in that kind of forgiveness. And we have to allow Him to express Himself through our hearts and through our lives. And then as we do this, we have to understand that there is a healing process. And it begins as we allow the healer to work in our lives. Psalms 147 lets us know that He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. Folks, this is the, I'm talking about this deep stuff that we're good at painting over. We're good at faking it, that it, all is cool. But it's that stuff that when you close your eyes at night, that it's the stuff that rushes back. It's the stuff whenever you feel like God is calling you into, a, into something and, it, and it, you run right into this over and over and over again, whether it's a gifting or a ministry, an opportunity, and you keep running into this place of pain. God wants to set you free from it. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage <clears throat> war as the world does. Thank you, God, that we don't. I <clears throat> grew up and lived in Odessa, Texas. Still basically about the size that it was then, maybe a little bit bigger. But um, back in the early 80s, Odessa, as you have to think of Houston, New York, all of these places you think of crime, Odessa for a couple years running was the murder capital of the United States in the early 80s. Murder capital of the U.S. per capita. And of course, you know, I grew up there, and so, you know, I, it didn't seem unsafe to me, you know, but it, you know, makes national news, you know, as they do that. And you, you, what it boiled down to, it wasn't that just people were just like running and breaking into homes and slashing throats and going crazy. 
it boiled down to a couple of families fighting over the illegal drug trade and some vendettas that got built up. That as one person was killed, another person, and then two, and then three, and then there's all of these murders taking place. And it really didn't have so much to do with the populace as a whole as it was this area of you hurt me and I'm going to hurt you back worse. Aren't you glad we don't work that way? We don't trapped in that that somebody hurts me and now I have to meditate and spend energy on how I'm going to hurt them back more. We're, we're, we don't work that way. God has delivered us from living under that curse. For though we live in the world, we don't wage wars. The world does. The weapons we fight with aren't the weapons of the world. But on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And folks, this stronghold is stuff that's right here between our ears. We demolish arguments. That's one of those strongholds. And every <clears throat> pretension that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God. God coming in and renewing the way we think. And take captive every thought, the way we think again, and make it obedient unto Christ. He is going to begin to shift. As you allow Him to heal you, you begin to shift the way you think. And as we do this, there's a few things that we have to do. We have to be willing to reveal the hurt. Psalms 32 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away though my <clears throat> through my groaning all day long. So there was this underlying uh, just uh, groans, and, and, but it wasn't this utterance. There was this silence. Wasn't really talking about it. Folks, that's why small groups are so vital. We need each other. That's why we have a small group ministry, and we have some, and they're in your bulletin, and please go to one. But you know what? That's not the only small groups around. Find some other believers. Connect with some folks. Maybe some of you have been through Mason. You have a reunion group or whatever. Just connect with some other believers who are pursuing to go forward with God where you can talk and you can deal with this junk. We've got some folks who are willing to talk to you even within our church if you just need to have a sit down and talk to somebody. But you've got to be willing to to express and get this done pour it out to god psalms 39 2 says when i was silent and still not even saying anything good my anguish increased so many times we think oh i'll just brush it off and it'll go away and it doesn't these deep wounds they don't just go away and then we have to understand that we have to be willing to release the people involved and release them to god Know that God is going to handle this better than we are. Matthew 18 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times do I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. I've got a little video right here I want to roll for you all. As uh, If you're watching the World Series or a Ranger fan, you know who Josh Hamilton is. And uh, he's got a, a wonderful testimony and this is a little video about him and his relationship with his wife katie katie didn't know me uh as the baseball player she knew i, I played and uh, knew i got drafted but um, she never followed me at all as far as baseball goes so we started dating and we dated for about four months and then we broke up he had started down a path that i didn't really want to be involved in I was young and had the money you know, I went for the worldly things. I went, you know, and started hanging out at tattoo parlors. I just remember um, having my first 
drink a line of cocaine and going to a strip club all in one night. You know, at first I wasn't uh, addicted to it. You know, I liked it because it was the closest thing to give me that rush to being on a field playing. During the year and a half that we were apart, um, I had heard different things about him, that he had gone to rehab, and he told me that he was doing well. He'd gotten out of rehab and was fine. You know, he had struggled and had been struggling, but he was doing really good. We dated for about four months, and we were married. We got married in November. She got pregnant in December. January, I relapsed. Uh, so she was devastated, of course. When I had our daughter, Sierra, he really got it together and was at the hospital with me. He was wonderful in the hospital, but the day we brought her home, he was supposed to go to Walgreens and get some prescriptions for me and ended up at a bar. I couldn't control my use, my drug use. I loved them dearly, but I didn't care about you know how they felt and uh, if they needed me, all I cared about was getting more drugs. It got to the point where it was so bad that I went to my um, nightstand and my wedding ring was not there and of course my heart just broken too because I just realized okay well if he's willing to take my wedding ring to get drugs then obviously these drugs are really important to him you know this addiction is is big it's real it's serious you know my hope had to be in Christ because it certainly my faith certainly could not have been in my husband because he was just continuously failing she was definitely uh, the spiritual leader of the household at that time through all this she's you know, getting closer to the Lord and, and praying and really leaning on our pastor and his wife for counsel. So I called my pastor and his wife and I told him how I was feeling. I said, you know, can I come over and talk? And they said, sure. So I came over and I'm like, listen to what my husband's done. He's done this and this and this and this. I said, and you know, my, my heart's desire is to please the Lord and I really want our marriage to work, but I'm mad at him. And my pastor said, well, I know what, you know, I know what we need to do. I was like, what? You know, I thought he had some great plan to, you know, bring him to justice. <laughs> he said, well, you need to forgive him. I said, Jimmy, I'm, what? No, I'm not going to forgive him. Did you hear all the things that he's done? He said, yes, I did. I heard them all. He said, and you're sitting at home and you're playing the rewind button over and over in your mind, replaying all the things that Josh has done to hurt you. He said, and your bitterness is hurting you. She called me and told me she you know, forgave me for everything. Um, that I've done. You know, it's the amazing thing, you know, about, you know, true forgiveness and, you know, that only God can give. Just, she hadn't brought it up one time since uh, she told me that. And I recommitted my life to Christ. And I just said, you know, Lord, this is, you know, I can't do this on my own. I said, I need you. My way's not working. I'm tired of, you know, trying to figure it out. I said, you know, I'm giving it to you. I think the biggest thing for us getting back together was the trust issue. You know, are you really going to the grocery store? Are you really going to the gas station? You know, how do I know that you're really going to be where you say you're going to be? I'm just so thankful that God is who he says he is and that he's faithful. And, you know, he can do, he can do anything he says he can do. And he can perform miracles. And the fact that I've witnessed a miracle in my husband's life and in our marriage just strengthens my faith and my belief in him that much more. Katie's uh, marriage still exists. She's been watching her husband play the World Series and serve God for uh, a, a time now. And uh, it's because she was willing to do some of these things. She's willing to call out to her pastor and do what we just talked about before, reveal the hurt. And, uh, and then she was even willing to, re to release Josh and, uh, and forgive him. As much as she felt vindicated and right 
and being angry and, uh, and hurt at, uh, at the things that he had done to her and to their family, that she was able to go ahead and forgive and to <clears throat> release him and <clears throat> allow him to experience that kind of, of grace and forgiveness that only comes from God. And we see here that, that God isn't requiring something of us that he doesn't himself require himself. We see First Peter 2 that says that when they hurled their insults at him, it's Jesus, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself <clears throat> to who judges justly. Folks, that is part of this knowing God better and trusting him more thing is going, okay, God, as much as this wigs me out a little bit, God, I'm going to go your route. And then this next thing can follow suit, and that's refocus on God's plan for their life. Katie and Josh, through those things, have been able to refocus on God's plan for their life. I love when we went to the game a couple of years ago his uh his song is is uh, as he steps up to bat there is this awesome uh, uh christian song just talking about the the grace of god and um he has been able to refocus on god's plan for his life and that's what god has for you and i as well see genesis 50 says <clears throat> that uh, am i in the place of god you intended to harm me this is joseph talking to his brothers and they, man, they, they sold him into slavery and messed up his uh, young adulthood big time. God redeemed it and redeemed the whole family. He says, but you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. And we know that Romans 8.28 is so true in our lives that we know that, all, that in all things, God doesn't cause all things, but in all things, he works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Folks, when God asks us to let go of something, whenever he says that it's time for us to move on from this thing, that he is simply working in our lives to get that, that life and that freedom that we have already in Jesus, that's already been made available to Jesus, he's just trying to get more and more of that into us. This is about living free and traveling life. That is what it has. His burden is easy and his yoke is light. And folks, you know, <clears throat> you, the, those places of pain, it, it grieves God and it grieves me, but it's worse to stay in there. It's worse to stay there. Folks, I just want us to just <clears throat> bow our heads right quick. And we want to just take this moment to make an opportunity. And we, to, first and foremost, 